All right. You've successfully acquired your property. Uh, what would you like to do now? You know, I think I'm going to put up my feet and warm them by the f- crackling fire in my study. What do you mean? You like what study? Like what fire? You know, the the study on my property, the the fire that's in the study, in the like the fireplace in the study. Jeez, you you think you'd figure this out. You bought a ruin. Like you like you know that, right? You bought a ruin. Ruins can have studies. No, they have empty rundown rooms. That were once studies. I'm sure this place has a former study. I'll just have to find that and put my feet up there. Fine. You find a burned out room that you think used to be a study, and you put your feet up on broken timbers that used to support the ceiling. The scorch marks on the wall do kind of make you think of a fire. Ah, this is the life. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about what happens when players acquire property. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And so let's kind of talk about what we're talking about here before we get going on. We'll talk about what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, In a lot of games, and and I've seen this happen in my games, I've heard people talking about, about it in their games, you get to a point where players and their characters have just amassed this massive amount of wealth and you you start to wonder what they're going to use it for you start to hope that they're going to spend it so that you don't have like some weird over planning where maybe they run into a big uh, obstacle and they're just going to hire an army to take care of it rather than going through your puzzles or whatever um <laughs> And one of the one of the things that they could do is uh, is buy property, but but just buying property. I mean, you need to consider more than just the fact that they're buying property, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to buying property, it's location, location, location. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, there's so much to consider. Uh, well, just from the standpoint of this is going to impact your game. This is something that's that's in your game. You know, it's it becomes a part of your world, and it's something that. Well, I mean, I've done this before with my players, and uh, they usually get. Uh, I don't know how to describe this. They like to personalize it, and uh, mm-hmm. if if you if I don't keep like a really good rain on it, it can actually be a pretty big time soak. Yeah. So so I, I think that. With that in mind, when you when you're considering offering this up as an option to players of of being able to purchase property as as well as customize it, you need to ask yourself: Is this something that that you uh, and and that's important that you as well as the <laughs> players of your game really do want to be a part of your game? Because as you just mentioned, it can be a huge, huge, huge time suck uh, depending upon how you roll it out. Oh, oh, most definitely. And I mean, it it gets it can get a little bit intricate and fiddly, you know, if uh, if you let players do that. Um, but and also consider that the mechanics of building and maintaining property, even if you have one or two players who are super excited about it, having an entire table where the people who are super pumped about role playing, sweeping the floors, and feeding the goats might not be, you know, something that they're into. <laughs> 
we role play sweeping of floors all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if if you're in that situation where not everybody is super into the nitty gritty of of design and how things get built and what what nerd knobs go in what doors to make them the secret trap that that your rogue wanted to build into the into the into the house or, or whatever um you may just consider like hey if they want property foregoing a lot of those mechanics and just saying here's the cost if you pay for it you just wait some time and it, it all gets done um, you hired some people to do it and you don't have to worry about downtime or or design or anything like that. It just gets built and you've got this place to stay in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plus, you can always use the magical D&D fast forward button. It's been two months. Your property is now complete. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like those video games where it has a little timer as your little guy works, hits his hammer against the wall. And <laughs> at the end, it's suddenly built into a much bigger property. <laughs> Wonderful. And it is all done. Um, but so that's like, if you don't have groups that are like really into it, that's fine. But you could have a group that gets really into, into the designing of what they want and understanding the inner workings and setting up some sort of business or, or local economy. Some people get really excited about that. And some people don't even want a business. They just want a property and they want to design all the rooms and have hidden escapes and like fortifications and traps and and stuff like that they they almost like they're building their own dungeon and just waiting for people people to come <laughs> come find them <laughs> it can definitely get a lot like that it's like it's like they're trying to counter your dungeons they're like well yeah. we can do it too um send the gnolls now um <laughs> and, and that is that is kind of like an interesting uh approach to a game that i've heard some people talk about is is uh Rather than having the adventurers go in and explore a dungeon, they could be the creatures that inhabit the dungeon and you could like build out the dungeon and then you kind of see how many uh, adventuring parties you repel with it uh, or, or something like that. Um, we're getting a little off topic, but <laughs> <laughs> still fun though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so we've talked a little bit about buying properties in past episodes and, and talked a little bit about how they have, can be a jumping off point for new adventures because you can, you can, there's all sorts of things that you can do that if, if people are motivated by their property that you can do to get them out and adventuring. Uh, I like the the needing something for for the property. Maybe they've decided to make an enhancement to something. Oh, I'm sorry. The this this thing you have to. There's this widget that goes into it, and you have to travel all all the way across the land to find it because it's only made in one place, and they don't ship it. <laughs> this is an Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, those. It's not not the same kind of shipping back then. Um, but another option, like as far as, you know, they might need something for the property or maybe like we discussed before, the property could come under threat by some sort of new enemy or an old enemy. Maybe, maybe they're building up these fortifications and somebody traced them or tracked them down some person that maybe they thought they killed that isn't. Yeah. The nice thing about, about them owning property is that now people could potentially know where to find them. All they have to do is figure out where the property is and there's a good chance that they're going to find the party there at some point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They can also like leave them notes, like cryptic notes and things like that and just mess with them a little and uh, see what the party does. Yeah, you you could like, 
when they come back from an adventure have have notes scattered throughout the the property um, that, that gives them here. some sort of clues. Have it be a mystery, even yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that can be a lot of fun because, well, I mean, nobody likes their regular house getting broken into, even your fantasy house. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you could also have uh, like a tax collector, like unlawful taxes. You know, they're this the government body or whatever is coming in and saying, hey, you owe us um, uh, all this money, this money that you know the party doesn't have or whatever. And, yep. uh, and I mean, it's super easy to prove that it's unlawful, but maybe this person's protected by the king or whatever and uh, you can kind of get a little a little uh political and stuff yeah or you could also have it develop into sort of a robin hood scenario where maybe they maybe they have neighbors and they find out the neighbors are also being uh being charged these unlawful taxes and and suddenly they become this uh this hero to the to the poor stealing from the rich and all that stuff yeah, yeah. Considering this is an adventuring party to steal from the rich, they just have to steal from themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there could also be problems with the property. Uh, so maybe you know they bought this really cool set of ruins, right? And they're like, "Oh, it's so pretty." Um, and then somebody's like, "Oh, look at this cool old rug," and they lift the old rug, and boom! There's a crypt or a dungeon or something like that. Just something super just like weird that. and surprised. <laughs> just like that. It's just like bam, dungeon. And uh, some just grabs them, or or you could have the floor cave in and drop them into a dungeon underneath their brand new home. Yeah, it doesn't have to be something that they found right when they bought it, because uh, in in that situation, it could be something that there was no interest. Maybe this was built right on top of this thing without concern for what they were sealing in, or maybe there was concern for what they were sealing in, mm-hmm. and just suddenly one day it collapses. It could That's also what? be if they have a large kind of rural property. Maybe they've got uh, a cave or something like that that hasn't really been explored that they don't find until later. And and by don't find until later, maybe it didn't exist when they bought it. And <laughs> later on, you're like, hey, we need to find an adventure for this for these group. Oh, look, in this corner of the property, you found a cave. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been here yet. So. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's definitely why getting an inspection on your property is a good idea. Um, <laughs> Uh, so getting started about like what kind of property do the players want? So if they're talking about buying a property, this is a really good question for you as the DM to ask them uh, because they could, there's so many different options out there. And as the DM or GM, you have to be, you have to start planning around this stuff basically right away. And yep. uh, not to mention figuring out your costs and all these things. Cause everybody's going to ask how much does a rug cost? Uh <laughs> <laughs> What about that rug that's over the hole in the ground? <laughs> I want that one. Um, and so it's it's a really, really good jumping off point for you as a DMGM to kind of get a handle on what exactly it is that they're after. Yeah. And so when we talk about types of property, I, I, I think that there's really kind of three main veins. And you could have like sub stuff within there. But three main uh, things that I like to focus on. Are you looking for an urban property? Because something located in a city, and, and when I say urban, it could e- even be located in small towns. It doesn't have to be a major metropolis, but something located where a uh, population center is typically. And it, it's in, so this would be, be great types of location for those players that are looking to do things like open up a shop, uh, have a tavern, run a brothel. Uh, whatever else that you might might have, maybe they want to be blacksmiths, um, um, 
but whatever that is, if they wanted to have some sort of commerce uh, operating shop, typically you're going to do that in urban. Yeah, you could you could have it somewhere else, but most likely you're going to have the most success in an urban environment. Now, when you choose an urban environment, there there's a few things to to keep in mind, right? Oh, absolutely. If you're going to be building in the city, it's the same thing as in real life. If you want to build in the city, it's probably going to cost you a lot more money up front because you're buying this chunk of land. There's a lot of people vying for that chunk of land, which drives up the cost. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're also going to have easier access to building supplies because guess what? You're in a city. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And so it's kind of like a balancing act between the two um, as far as urban goes. Yep. And then then in tying into that urban thing, you also are going to potentially have other organizations to deal with. Um possibly a cr- criminal syndicate that wants to shake you down, uh maybe an overzealous neighborhood watch, um city tax collectors, the homeowners uh, any, association. <laughs> yeah, home, that's kind of what I was going for with that yeah. second one there. Was a homeowners association. Um <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, your trash cans are out too early. You have to, you have to put them out no later than eight hours before pickup. Uh, <laughs> Just get petty about it. <laughs> uh, but all of this stuff needs to be considered when, when they're, when, when you're thinking about, um, that urban property, because in addition to affecting the cost and stuff, it also can affect. Um, what kinds of storylines you might be able to introduce with the purchase of that property. Absolutely. And then when you move away from urban, like the villages, hamlets, towns, and that, that, then you get into more rural stuff. So if maybe your party wants to build like buy, build or buy a farm or farmland, uh, strongholds, uh, I guess strongholds is kind of like ruins and castles, I, I think. I don't know. Well, um, it's it's you could like build or buy a stronghold and it wouldn't have to be a ruin it'd be like your own little fort (laughs) (laughs) definitely um but that could be a lot more expensive just because of the sheer size right if you're building like a stronghold um fortifications are always expensive because they're they're thicker right you need you need a lot more wall there (laughs) yep but but at the same point the the um cost per well, since we're using D&D and they have the five-foot squares, I guess this is fair. Cost per square foot uh, <laughs> um, is 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 going to be potentially lower because you're getting larger parcels of land. Um, it's just the total cost is going to be more for that parcel of land because it's bigger. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But think about the, the courtyard you could have. Beautiful. Yep. Um, but it could also have access to its own building materials on site if you're building out in the rural. So as much as if you're in an urban, it's easier to go out and buy wood and, and stone maybe. Um, if you're building on a huge chunk of land that has you know, its, its own forest or its own quarry or mine or something like that, you could potentially have direct access to a, well, free but just time-consuming goods. Yep. And then... Moving from there, um, this is kind of what would you you would still consider fairly rural, uh, but but it gets its own class because I think that D and D is has the the propensity to have a lot of ruins all over the place. So ruins is our next category, and mm-hmm. um, so these are things that that maybe were a, a castle or a stronghold or something like that previously, but they've fallen into a state of disrepair, uh, which means that the 
upfront cost is probably going to be lower, maybe even free if you can't find an owner for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> but being that it's in a state of disrepair, that means that that um, that actually working on it, repairing it, building it up is going to typically cost more because you're not starting from scratch. You're trying to to fix things in place potentially, and things may continue to break as you continue to, to try and fix them. Um, sure, if you get lucky, it might cost less, but it's it's unlikely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, if they're if they're doing a ruins, you can have like the base walls or whatever of the ruins pre drawn up, and then they would have to decide how they're going to adjust that building based off of the existing structure. Yep. So some things to keep in mind when you're when you're looking at ruins, I, two two kind of things I like to like to think about. First off, is are, is the ruins are, are the ruins actually occupied by creatures that have taken up residence? Maybe that's actually how the the adventurers found it is because they were going to take care of these creatures, take care of murder these creatures <laughs> that that were in the ruins. And by clearing it out, they're like, well, hey, now we've got these empty ruins. Maybe we should just live here. Uh, but if they more legally acquired it by buying it from somebody else, there could be creatures in there that they haven't discovered yet. Or even if they, quote unquote, cleared it out, maybe they didn't fully clear it out. Oh, for sure. Or maybe they clear out a set of ruins and, you know, they think to themselves, well, we've cleared this out of these ruins. These have been abandoned for 40 years and they move in, they stake a claim, they do all this stuff. And then the previous owners come back and they're like, well, we were in France for the summer or something and uh, and they want to take it back. And then you could get, it depends on if you like the political side of things, uh, you could definitely take that political or maybe they just come back and and they're just a group of wild barbarians who are like that's my castle and they and they just start fighting him and you killed all my pet ghouls (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a long line i've been breeding them for years (laughs) so i think once you once you have kind of discussed with the players about the types of where they want it located what what type of, of uh, surrounding areas you want this property in. The the immediate question you're going to, you probably get this before that even, how much is this thing going to cost, right? So and, much. Yeah, it's just <laughs> gobs and gobs of money. Uh, I, but the, the, the important thing to note is that how much something costs is really going to be driven by how you've set up the economy in your game. So if, if, gold flows like water from the tap and everybody just has piles of gold in their house, it's going to cost a lot more gold because gold is pretty much worthless at that point. So it's going to cost <laughs> a lot more gold to um, to actually buy and build on this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and likewise, if, if your economy is, is very limited on on uh on gold out there but but people are still affluent even though they don't have as much gold then then potentially the prices could be less just because of the scarcity of gold and the and the therefore perceived value of it and you also have to take into consideration how difficult you actually want it to be to attain the property so -hmm. if you know that your party has a total of ten thousand gold or whatever um, and you, you either oh, don't. Oh, that's want- too bad. It's twenty thousand <laughs> gold. <It's> so- <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
and so you can you can kind of adjust that um, as you need to. Yeah. So I, throughout this whole process, you again make sure that you're ready to have property owning players in this in in your game, and if you're not, you don't have to tell them no right now, but you can make it to where it is currently unobtainable to give you time to be where you're ready to have them owning property in the game. Because if, if they want to do this, it's likely that they're going to continue wanting to do it. So I don't know that I would just tell them outright no, but I would, I would find ways to delay it until you're ready. Yeah. Just like have a, have a piece of paper stapled to the door that says go away. Yeah. (laughs) Works works wonders. (laughs) I'm not DMing you until I'm ready. Um, (laughs) Back I, on, I meant I meant on the ruins. <laughs> they just oh, walk okay. up to the ruins and it just says, go away. <laughs> Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. So continuing down the cost conversation, uh, there are some official resources that that can help uh, define what the cost of of these things are. Um, For D&D 5e, uh, the DM's guide on page 128 uh, actually has some guidance on what different properties cost. So for instance, a a guild guild hall in a town or city they have as 5,000 gold pieces and 60 days of construction. Now, that that days is important to note because this is part of their downtime activity rules. So this is assuming that the the player that the characters are spending 60 days doing the construction. Now, if they hired somebody else, um, it could possibly take less time, but it would also cost more money. Cost a lot more money. And then you've got stuff like temples that cost 50,000 gold and 400 days. And and it lists a number of different type of buildings. Definitely, by no means is it is it a, a thorough listing. But I think that you can take that and and use that as a guidepost to say, okay, well, based on this, the shack that you want down on the corner is going to cost X amount. Mm-hmm. Or the Colosseum is that's pretty temple-y, you know, and uh, and you could just cross it over. Um, but Another thing that needs to be considered is is uh, you you can't forget the actual cost of the land that that this house or property or whatever is sitting on. Um, mm-hmm. So if they're like if they want to build um, a new structure, it's like sure the, the temple cost I think you said fifty thousand um, dollars, but where are you building it? You still need to acquire the land from somewhere, and that land in and of itself is still going to have its own cost. So even though a temple might be fifty thousand dollars. Um, depending on where they're purchasing things, um, I think that 
DM's guide says a small estate could sell for between a hundred gold pieces and a thousand, and mm-hmm. a large estate would be closer to five thousand or better. So it can really start to add up on the cost for building these things. Even if you are just building a shack down by the river, when you're looking at a small estate, that's a hundred gold pieces. Yeah, and and when we talk about a state, that typically makes me think of rural or outside of city limits. If you're talking about inside city limits, I think you can probably still use those prices as a guideline. You're just getting a much smaller parcel of land. Yeah, because I think that 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 basically is is cost wise from small towns to cities, even in real life. You know, just yeah. because of the higher demand or whatever. Yep. So within Pathfinder, uh, I'm specifically referring to the first edition Pathfinder. I don't know that they have published um, kingdom building uh, rules for second edition yet, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, they, if they don't, or if they, if they do. That's the term I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> but so they have used kingdom building rules to kind of define this. And and that means that the approach is a little bit different than D&D where they just say this many gold pieces for this. Um, within Pathfinder, they use the concept of build points or, or BP is what it, it gets referred to in the books. And then you have to go and look up what BP means, which I had to do. I'll, I'll freely admit. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the value of build points are variable based upon the the size of the of the area that you're building in. So if you're in a small town uh, kingdom with 25 or fewer people, they're saying that the the BP is about a, a thousand gold pieces per BP. But if you get larger, uh, when you get over 100 people, it's like 4,000 gold pieces per BP. So for the the way that they have the mechanics set up. The more people that are there, presumably the higher the cost of labor or something like that. And and so, therefore, the higher those build points are. Oh, and it, it makes sense. It's the same as, you know, building in a city versus building in a town. And uh, so it tracks, and I, I, I really like it. And so this this is coming from the, the ultimate campaign for Pathfinder 1E. And, yep. uh, like, this is, this is my favorite book in all of role-playing. I just... I need to say that every time we talk about this book, because anybody who's not <laughs> actually looked at this book really needs to look at this book. This is a very, very good resource. It has so much cool stuff in it. And, you know, it, like when you get away from the fighting. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I digress. Uh, buildings generally have like a, like they, they'll have like a specific BP for requirement to build. So a guild hall will be 34 BP. Uh, which in a kingdom of 25 or fewer people would be 34,000 gold pieces because it's 1,000 per BP. Yep. Uh, or a temple with 32 BP, you know, again, in the small kingdom, that's 32,000 gold. And uh, you obviously times that by four for a kingdom uh, with more than 100 people. And so it gives you a really good sense of uh, the cost of these different things and, and how location impacts them. Yeah, and... Just like we talked about in the D&D rules, you can't forget the land. There, There is also a, a BP cost to clear the land based upon the type of land that you are, you're, you're in. And this just kind of goes into kind of the, the core differences between Pathfinder 1st Edition and, and D&D 5th Edition is the just how crunchy detailed the rules within Pathfinder <laughs> are uh, because you have like, okay, if you want to prepare a swamp, it's this. If you want to prepare planes, it's this. And those range from from one to 12 uh, build points um, depending upon that type of land. So 
all of this starts at page 212 in that uh, ultimate campaign guide. So if you're running a Pathfinder campaign, I, I, I would agree. I, I highly recommend taking a look at that, especially if you have players that are looking to do things outside of, of your re- regular storyline combat uh, adventure. Oh, uh, it's a magnificent book. Um, and yeah, use use the costs and stuff in it just for a starting point. Um, so like everything's, it's not set in stone, like every single rule that ever existed in D&D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good starting point and it gives you a good idea about where everything's floating at. And then you can adjust it based on the economy of your game or, I mean, maybe the book doesn't list, you know, building in lava, but that's where your party wants to build and you can just, you know, <laughs> kind of work with it. I build everything in lava. Um, <laughs> That's my preferred location. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you? Uh, <laughs> so let's let's talk about like once they've once they've put out all this money, they've searched for the property, they they've acquired it. Um, how much should you let the player design their building? How much do you think, Daniel? As <laughs> as much as you're willing to deal with and put up with is is how much you should let their, them play with their building. Because like, <laughs> some people will be really quick. They'll be like, yeah, we need four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a wall. And yeah, well, like all the way around the building a wall. Yeah, no, that's we're good. And then some people will be like, we should paint every door a different color. So let's go shop for colors. And it's you're like, what? No, like, no, you need rooms first. <laughs> I've got swatches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and as you're as you're having discussions about what these designs are, um, you um, you need to remember that different features are going to potentially increase the cost of a building. So different features like secret passages, trap doors, fortifications, those require more than just putting up a wall. Uh, yeah, you could just put up a wall, but if you want all those things, it's going to cost more. So if you are allowing your players to do a lot of design, you as the DM still need to be involved so that you can say, oh, this is really cool, but it's going to cost you another 15,000 gold to do it like this if you want all of these all of these trap doors that are every five, every five feet in your, in your building. Yes, it's a hallway of trap doors. <laughs> um, so, so... And to that, some of the things that they design, again, could require special materials that may not readily be available. Like we talked about earlier, this could be a plot hook that that forces them out to explore the, the world that you've created, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, furthermore, to as as the DM, you need like you really do need to approve the plans and you you need to have like a hard copy of the plans once everything is set. Uh, because if you just let them go hog, hog wild, right, um, you can kind of run into some scenarios where it's like, well, no, there, there's, there's, a, there's a trap door there. Well, I told you about it. Well, no, it's not on the drawing that the team has, but we talked about it and I put it there. There has to be like a group, you know, consensus. This is the map. If it exists, it's on this map. And, uh, and just that way everything's kind of like nailed down. Yep. And And I would recommend that that if you are going to allow really nitty gritty design that you have the players do that outside of the game. 
and and then maybe bring it to you and say these are the things that are important features or all of the features of of our thing and you can review it at that point that way if they're really into it they can spend however much time that they want and it doesn't derail the storyline of your game and then they can come back and you can be like okay spend 15 minutes going through what they've designed okay it or or say no or say it's going to cost this much more and you move on um Mm -hmm. whereas if if you just do it during the during the session it could take up an entire session or multiple sessions just to do the design that they're looking to do yeah and that's and that's all time where you're just basically sitting there watching your party discuss and, and you can't really get involved in that you're basically just there as like a price checker on the wall at walmart and they just are like, boop, and you're like, that'll be 100 gold pieces. And they're like, okay. And then they talk for another 20 minutes. And they're like, what about this? And you're boop, that's 20 gold pieces. <laughs> <laughs> wow, your, your, uh, your pricing is a lot more lenient than my pricing. That Mine was for a rug. Gold. Mine was a rug. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that covers the hole. All right. So yeah. um, let's move on, uh, uh, Danielle. Okay. Knock knock. Who's there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, your 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 servants at, at, the, at the property. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really bad. I, I, but I'm okay with it. Uh, so, as as they build out these properties, they may want to decide to hire people. Um, if it's a if it's a large estate, they may need to hire people to maintain it uh, over the course of them not being there. Or if it's um, if they do buy a uh, vehicle of commerce, a shop or something like that. They'll need to hire people to staff that. So they need to, at this point, you'll need to understand what the cost for that labor might be. Um, mm-hmm. Any any guidance there, Danielle? This, uh, I went through the Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign Guide, the most wonderful book in the world. And uh, on page 88, they do have a list of managers that you can go through. So these would be your higher-end hirelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the cost for them ranges from like two to five gold pieces per day. And it's a list of about 15 to 20 ish things all the way from accountants. So people to manage the books and make sure that, I don't know, your other hirelings aren't stealing or whatever. And all the way down to like, well, I shouldn't say down all the way over to stage managers. So maybe they're, they're running a theater troupe or something and they need a stage manager for while they're acting or, or whatever it is that your party gets up to. Um, but you're going to find that on page 88 in path in the Pathfinder Ultimate Campaign to uh, get yourself some managers, look after the place so that uh, you can have a day off. Yep. And then if you want the untrained stuff, so we're thinking like maids, uh, people that just open the door for, for people, um, people that muck out your horse stalls, whatever, um, those, those manual task workers you're looking at about one to three silver pieces per day. And, and that number is, is pretty consistent between both D&D as well as Pathfinder. Um, I think in, in D&D, it's, it's, it's about two. And then for Pathfinder, it ranges from one to three, depending upon like how, how unskilled they are. Um, <laughs> so as, as, um, as your players start building this out, then, then you need to keep an eye out for things that they may need to have covered by skilled workers. Uh, and this is just another way to um, provide a robust experience on their property, but also a nice way to drain their piggy banks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also also a great way to throw in like a bunch of NPCs 
and mm-hmm. you can go political with that if you're into the political stuff or you can you can do a lot of crazy stuff when you're when your PCs are literally living with a bunch of NPCs um although I would be kind of interested like would you hire a hiring manager or or are we doing interviews now as DMs like prepare some resumes and have your party go through them. <laughs> so basically, the players interview you as the DM as the NPCs for yeah. all of the NPCs. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe if you're like looking for a job in real life, that could be good prep. Um, except that you're probably not going to interview and talk about the uh, medieval tasks that you're doing with your job here in the in the in the two thousands. Oh, um, definitely not. But I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm kind of I kind of like that idea. I would set a timer for like you get three minute interviews. That's all you're gonna get, and just fire through a bunch of them and see who they actually hire. And you and I mean by doing this, you could also again seed in some of those those different plot lines. So each one of them maybe has a particular flaw that the players might have to deal with from something as mundane as as always drops things when after three steps to <laughs> um is actually a secret uh secret worshiper of some evil god who's intent on destroying the world and first step is taking over the property uh, yeah and the best uh, part is it's like well you hired them <laughs> yeah this is this is all on you <laughs> that's actually i i that's actually fascinating i i would be interested to see how something like that would play out it's i i haven't done anything like that but yeah, neither fun. have I, but I am, I am, that's, that's now on my list, my list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we've built the property, or we bought the property, we've built on it, we've hired people. Uh, now there's just kind of a little bit of a grab bag of other things that we might want to consider. Um, and, and some of these are actually before we bought and built, so maybe just ignore what I just said there. <laughs> uh First off is just because the players want to purchase a specific property does not mean that it's open for sale. And again, this is a great way to provide um, new storylines that they're invested in pursuing and and excited to because maybe they're really interested in, in having this property. So maybe it's not for sale. Maybe it's only for sale for the right buyer. And that right buyer could be the the person who who uh, retrieves the uh, their grandmother's artifact from from somebody? Um, oh, thank you so much for retrieving it. Now I'll sell it to you, kind of thing. Oh, um, definitely. I like the I like the uh, multiple people think that they own a deed to the property, and I I I, I kind of like this as we we mentioned it as a uh, somebody owning ruins before, and they they really hadn't given it up. But I also equally like the the shyster approach where somebody is conning people into the sale of this property. So there's one real owner and he's he's um, conned oh, everybody else and, and given them a fake deed. Maybe the players have the fake deed. Maybe they have the real one. Who knows? But uh, but again, leads you to leads you kind of down a story path that you can do um, by having by having the players conned into into uh, thinking that they own the property. That could actually be quite, quite fun. Um, especially because if, if they turn out not to have the right deed, then your party is definitely going to want to try to get their money back and yep. you can do so much stuff with their money. You know, it could have been transferred to X amount of thing, like all these different places, um, which is basically just fires into all of these different quest lines. Yeah. And I mean, you could even have the, 
um, search to find out who the true owner of the property be sort of like a, a mystery path that they're that they're doing. So you can provide clues and they can follow these clues and figure out. So it's sort of like a murder mystery without the murder. Or the murder of your bank account. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so another thing to consider is uh, once, so you've bought the property and uh, so you've got yourself a great piece of land. It's It's got a nice forest and, and you built this really beautiful house and it's so pretty and you love it and everybody loves it. Um, yeah, but it still requires maintenance and upkeep, the same as your regular house. You know, there's... Um, like you can't just, that's how ruins become ruins. It's because the maintenance <laughs> and the upkeep stops. And so if they don't want to live in ruins eventually, um, there is a cost to, to having these places go. And this is where you would get some workers, right. To do some maintenance and some upkeep. Um, but so even if you're paying, like, say you have a carpenter or whatever to fix the timbers so that your study can be much nicer. Um, so he might cost, you know, three silver pieces a day or whatever, uh, but he's still going to have additional costs to buy X amount of bits of lumber per year to keep the place in good repair. Yep. So you can really approach that um, ongoing maintenance cost in a couple of ways. One is you could just have a, hey, for for this property, based upon what you've built, every month is going to cost you this much. And and that's going to cover all of your regular maintenance. But even even when you're talking about regular maintenance, there could be um, random chance things uh, that that happen to the property that would incur higher costs. So uh, random chance, maybe on a on a periodic basis, you can roll to see if something happens, and then determine what that is. And again randomly so maybe maybe there was a lightning storm and it struck the roof of the house and burned down the roof uh it's a stone house so the the house didn't burn down but now you have to replace the whole roof um Mm. maybe maybe uh wandering animals while you were gone wandered in and like knocked down the door and ate all your furniture whatever that may be (laughs) my credenza Uh, no (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah, if you're going to do something like that, I would I would have it be random and I would have it be on a fairly long timeline. So it's not going to be where you're rolling every week. Oh, look, you got something this week. Oh, look, next week they had this other thing. It's not it's not this the stress house of homeownership. Welcome. It's not, <laughs> not going to be a house of calamities unless they have a cursed property. And in, in, in which means go, say, go unless you hog. want them to have a house of calamities, in which case, absolutely. <laughs> but if you're not doing like that cursed route, then then just kind of keep in mind the timeline and 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 how much time has passed. So maybe depending upon how quickly they go through the timeline, maybe it's every couple of sessions you roll it, maybe it's every session, maybe it's every five sessions, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, or maybe it goes fast enough within session that you roll it every so often within session. It it, it kind of depends on how you manage time within your within your particular game. Absolutely, and how 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 closely you're able to manage that time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I laugh because I'm bad at it. <laughs> A lot of times, it's just like some time has passed. It's I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this chart where I keep track of the days and I put them back to it on roll 20. And they're like, no way. It's only been five days. I was like, oh, yeah, I stopped tracking that six months ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I always get the question like, what time of day is it? 
Uh, it's about noon. Yeah, that that that's what time it is. It's about noon. That's, we'll just say it's about noon. <laughs> Lunch is my favorite meal. Um, but uh, so other the the other thing that uh, you can consider is is do they owe taxes? Right, like if they're building in a kingdom, there's probably a king. There's probably a a duke, a marquis, duchess. I don't know. Somebody wants money from them. Chances are, yep. uh, especially when you see how wealthy they are, running around in their full plate and stuff like that. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna want to charge some taxes. Now, are they going to be nice taxes, bad taxes? Um, is your party going to be okay with it? That is to be seen. Yeah, and and one of the things that you you probably should explain to the party before they make the purchase <laughs> is, hey, just so you know, there are going to be taxes here because generally speaking, it's always going to be within a kingdom. So generally speaking, the king is going to want his uh, want his fill, and and. And telling them that beforehand can can prevent some really crazy off the rail stuff like, oh, he's charging me a gold piece a year. I am so upset. I'm going to go and tear down his kingdom. Well, <laughs> a gold piece a year is pretty, pretty, pretty fair. Um, <laughs> so, but, and, and you can even, you could even provide like, expected taxes are this. And so that way, if you wanted to have a storyline that they were getting overcharged for taxes, they would know that they're getting overcharged. Sure, you could make them know by having it be this exorbitant amount that they can't even afford. But if you didn't want to go that direction, you just set the expectation up front saying like, yeah, normal normal annual property taxes on this is, is 50 gold or whatever that may be. Yeah, to mail them an assessment. <laughs> <laughs> We've reassessed your your stronghold value <laughs> due to recent changes. Um. We're upping the education tax because we're building a school next door to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but in addition to that, I mean, depending upon how um, how uh, granular you want to get, and if your players are getting super granular, you may as well get granular on your side. You could do things like requiring building permits. Yeah, you know. We've had this rash of, of things turning into uh, into ruins here because they just weren't built right. So we've applied all these laws. You really have to comply with these building permit laws <laughs> in order to build your your house because we just don't we don't need any more ruins here in the There's kingdom of Shintopia. Shintopia, <laughs> a great way to get your uh, players involved with the local guilds too. Yep. Right. It's like no, you got to go talk to Bill with the Builders Guild. Oh, it's such a unique name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled a great one out of the hat for that. Uh, yeah, go talk to Bill, and uh, he'll give you he'll give you the the code, and uh, and <laughs> we'll see you in a week. Well, and it, and it could be that maybe the players are members of of an adventurers guild, a thieves guild, or something like that, and they're having trouble with with whatever builders guild there is, and and maybe they. They leverage their contacts to get in better with the Builders Guild to get the things that they want. But maybe, again, looking for plot hooks, that means that like, oh, the Adventurers Guild now wants you to go do this thing because they're doing this favor for you. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just there's, there's so many ways that you could take this into some really fun and unique quests. Yep, Absolutely. Well, I think that is what we wanted to cover today. If you have players that are that are interested in in, in owning property, it can be interesting and fun. Again, as long as everybody's on board, 
Uh, but hopefully this has helped. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.